Good morning, and welcome to Midway. We are so glad that you're here today, thankful that you've chosen to be out in the liquid sunshine. Somebody said before uh, service this morning that uh, they thought there was a sale going on down at Home Depot. Uh, gopher wood was half price, so you might want to get there in a hurry. We've got, uh, got a lot of rain out. Appreciate so much you being here with us today. You know, when we talk about Job, we think about a man that the Bible says is a man of patience. And yet when we think about Job being a man of patience, it may be that we have the wrong impression of him. You see, Job, in his patience, was not a man who sat around quietly, never asking a question, just taking things, if you will. Job asked questions. Job asked a lot of questions. Job asked God a lot of questions. And among the questions that Job asked is the one that we are looking at today. If you have your Bible, you may want to turn to the book of Job, chapter 7. In Job, chapter 7, beginning at verse 17 and going through verse number 20, Job asked this question, What is man? What is man that you make so much of him that you set your heart on him? Visit him every morning and test him every moment. How long will you not turn, look away from me nor leave me alone till I swallow my spit? If I sin, what do I do to you, you watcher of mankind? Why have you made me your mark? Why have I become a burden to you? And so when we look, Job asks a question, what is man? And it's as though Job has a picture of man and, and he's thinking about his own situation and the terribleness of that situation, all that he is going through, all of the pain that he's suffering, not only from a physical standpoint, but from an emotional standpoint and losing his family and losing the things that he had. And he wants to know what is man. On the other hand, we have what was read to us from the book of Psalm this morning. In Psalm 8, verses 3 and 4, the psalmist says, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Job, on one hand, is looking at man as being the object that is perhaps the object of persecution. And, and of course we know that he was suffering so much. But the psalmist looks into the sky and he sees all of the things that God has created, the magnificence and the beauty of the stars and the moon and the things that God has, has set in His heavens. And he says, what is man down here? What, what are we that you're mindful of Him? And we know that the writer of the book of Hebrews would quote from Psalm 8, Verses 3 and 4, when he's talking about man, the Son of Man, Christ Himself, in the book of Hebrews chapter number 2. Uh, but we have those questions that are asked, what is man? Now there are some misconceptions about what man is. If you were to ask a humanist what a man is, he would say that man is the measure of all things. In other words, whatever it is on life, uh, whatever life there is on earth, whatever there is, man, you know, is, is the one that, that is to be looked up to and the one who makes the rules, the one who has everything at his disposal. Man is the measure of all things. If you were to ask another in the, in the group of people that we have today, the extreme environmentalists, they would say something like this, man is the cancer of the planet. In other words, man is, just, uh, is destroying his planet. And we know from, from some politicians that, that not only should we not eat cows, but we shouldn't have children and do all of those kinds of things because we're messing up the planet. And so we have, we have that concept of man. You're just the cancer 
of the planet. But then again, we have maybe another, the evolutionist, who would say that man is the product of time and chance. You know, there was a, uh, some kind of speck that jumped up out of a, a slimy pool and walked up on the dry land, and, and later it, it developed into uh, some kind of mammal, and finally it came into man. And so we're here this morning in the church building worshiping God that we've made up in our own mind because there's no such thing as God in evolution. And so man is just the product of time and chance. If you had, if you had long enough and you, and you have things that are just right, you can have all of the things that we have in man, the order of the body and all of those kinds of things, which just really doesn't make sense, does it? Amen. But as we think about the, the concept of what is man, even Job's friends had some ideas about what man is. Again, if you have your Bible in the book of Job, chapter number 15, look at verses 14 through 16. One of Job's friends by the name of Eliphaz says, What is man? Got the same question that, that Job had asked earlier in the chapter in the book. What is man that he can be pure? Or, or who is born, he who is born of woman, that he can be righteous? Behold, God puts no trust in His holy ones, and the heavens are not pure in His sight. How much less one who is abominable and corrupt, a man who drinks injustice like water. Eliphaz didn't have too high of an opinion of man, did he? He said man is just a sinful being. Of course, we understand that we're sinful beings. We understand that very well. And we know that because we are sinful beings that Christ had to come and die for us. We'll talk about that just a little more a little bit later. But he didn't have too high uh, an opinion of man. Another one of Job's friends, uh, Bildad the Shuhite, uh, in the book of Job 25, verses 4 through 6, says, How then can man be in the right before God? How can he who is born of woman be pure? Behold, even the moon is not bright and the stars are not pure in his eyes. How much less man who is a maggot and the son of man who is a worm? Again, Bildad the Shuhite, one of Job's friends, he didn't have very much of an opinion of man either, did he? Have you ever been called a maggot? A worm? Well, here is Job who is suffering and his friends are there to comfort him. And, whoo, I don't know about you, but that's miserable comforters when you start talking in ways like that. Do you know what? These are not the only men, people, who have a misconception about men. Modern religionists, if we just go back to our list, modern religionists say that man is by nature a child of Satan. By nature a child, born a sinner. And because he's born a sinner, if that little baby was to die, that little baby would be lost. And that's not what I read in my Bible. That's not what the book of Ezekiel teaches. Very, very clearly teaches that's not the case. But... As we look at it, that's what people think of man, that, that we're just the children of Satan. But think about that. So many people try to prove that we're the children of Satan and forget that we are the children of God. And so we need, to, we need to consider. Men have some misconceptions about man. But you know what? I'm glad that God takes a different view of man than even some men. Very different view. And we need to think about that when we're answering the question, what is man? In a world filled with living beings, man is the only being created in the image of God. That means something. 
But it's important to you and to me as human beings, as men and women, that we have been created in the image of God. Now, I don't have to quote the verse for you. You know the verse quite well in the book of Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, where God said, let us make man in our own image. And verse 27, that says that he did that. He made us in the image of God. We know that passage, but, but what does it mean? Now, of course, we know that it has a spiritual aspect to it. We're given a spirit in the same way that God is a spirit. And that spirit is going to live somewhere in eternity. It'll be either with God or to be away from God. But we have that spiritual aspect of God, of man. But I want us to focus for just a little while this morning on, on the part of man that's physical in nature, if you will, but yet has within it that, that, that image of God, that, that, that part of God that, that God made us. And perhaps it'll help us understand better who we are and what we are and what we need to be doing if we can just grasp the right concept of man. You know, man has been given some things by God. Uh, when we're created in, in His image, we've been given some things by God. For example, man has been given an intellect. An intellect. The ability to, to do some things with his mind. Now I want you to listen to about four verses. And I want to focus on some key words in those verses that has to do with the intellect of man. First one is found in the book of Matthew chapter 9 at verse number 4. Matthew chapter 9 at verse number 4. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? God has given us an intellect with which we can think. Some people don't do that very well today. Uh, they want somebody else to think for them. They want somebody else to tell them exactly what to do. But God gave us an intellect with which to think. Here's another one, another one found in the book of Mark, chapter 2, at verse number 8. The Bible says, And immediately Jesus, perceiving in His Spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? If you're reading from the King James Version, they reasoned within themselves. English Standard, they questioned. But, you know, again, that is kin to the idea of thinking. The ability to reason things through. Uh, what does the evidence say? And, and when there is evidence for something, when, when we look at the evidence, is the evidence sufficient enough for us to make a wise decision based on the evidence that we have? We question, we reason. That's another function of the intellect of man that God has given us. Now here's another one found in the book of Matthew chapter 13 at verse 15. The Bible says, For this people's heart has grown dull with their ears, they can barely hear with their eyes, they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and watch this, understand with their heart, and turn and I would heal them. Again, not only can we think about things and we question or reason them out, but we can come to understand them. We can make a determination about them. We can understand these ideas, these concepts. 
Again, that's a function of our intellect. Let me give you one more from the book of Romans, chapter 10, verse number 10. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. When we think about this passage, one believes. He hears the information, he weighs the evidence, he, he can understand the difference between the two, and now he, he can make that decision, that wise decision, and place his faith, his trust in something. When we think about man and the intellect that God has given us, man is the only one of God's creatures that God has given this ability. The only one of His creatures that He's given this ability. We look at a dog and we say, oh, that, that, that dog is smart. You can tell him to go get a stick and he'll go get that stick. But let him build his own house to live in. Let him reason that out. We talk about sometimes the gorillas being able to do some sign language. Yes, they can do that, but they don't have their own language and they can't do that unless they are able to mimic mankind. God has given man an intellect and He's the only creature in this created world that He has given that to that's one of the great gifts that God has given us. Not only that, man has been given emotions. Emotions. 2 Samuel chapter 6, at verse number 16, As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. She despised him. That's an emotion. Romans 10 verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. That's a, that's a love, a desire for Israel to be saved. That was Paul's desire. In the book of Matthew chapter 22 at verse 37, Jesus said that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. When we look at that, that is the, that's the emotion Played out in more than just emotion, but that is the emotion that we are to have toward God. And so we can see a range of emotions, despise, love, desire. We can see a range of emotions, and, and as we think about those emotions, again, we are, we, we are left to understand that man is the only one of God's creations who's been given this kind of ability. The only one of God's creations who is able to both despise and love and everything in between. Animals can't do it. They can snarl at you. They can attack you. But it's not because they despise you. They don't have that intellect to know who you are, what you are. They just have an instinct. And yet, man has the ability to have an emotion. Not only that, but man has been given a will. Now that's not a not something that we use a, as a legal contract. That's not the kind of will we're talking about. We're talking about a will that is within man to, uh, to make determinations and so forth. For example, in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, at verse number 37, the Bible says, But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined 
this in his heart. To keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. Part of that that I want you to understand is man has the ability to, to determine something. Again, in the book of Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 12, the Word of God is living, active, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and, watch this, intentions of the heart. We have determinations, we have intentions. Acts chapter 11 at verse 23, when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. He exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with a steadfast purpose. All of those are functions of, a, of our will within man. And you know what? There's another part of that in Romans chapter 6 at verse 17 when we are able to determine, make intentions and to purpose. The Bible makes it clear that our will makes it possible for us to obey. Romans 6 verse 17, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you have been committed. Man has been given the will to determine, to purpose, to, uh, to, 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 make an in, to have an intent to be obedient. And so, again, I'd simply observe this. Man is the only one of God's creations who has been given this kind of ability. Only one of God's creations that can do that. Then number four, man has been given a conscience. A conscience. In 1 John chapter 3, 20 and 21, For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and He knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. You know, conscience is not the only determiner. It's not the only determining factor. But John makes it clear that we do have one. We do have a conscience that can help guide us. It should hurt when we've done wrong. It should, it should be happy, if you will, when we've done right. shouldn't be offended. shouldn't be hurt. In the book of uh, Titus, chapter 1, at verse number 15... Paul wrote and says, To the pure all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving nothing is pure, but both their minds and their conscience is defiled. Man, again, is the only one of God's creations who's been given this kind of ability. We can hurt someone, offend someone, and our conscience may bother us. But if your dog bites you, if your dog injures you in some way, don't expect your little dog, your little puppy, to go home and cry at night because he has done something bad to his master. That's not what animals do. That's what men do. What is man? God has given us a conscience by which to live. This one is not on your sheet, so you can add this one. I, I failed to get a uh, spot on the sheet. But man also has been given a responsibility. Man has been given a responsibility. Go back, if you will, to the book of Psalm 8. Look at verses 5 and 6 again. Grant read it for us this morning. But in Psalm 8, verses 5 and 6, the Bible says, Yet you have made him a little lower than the angels, or than the heavenly beings, and 
crowned him with glory and honor, and you have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. Now, in a sense, that is in reference to the Son of God, but in another sense, in a primary sense, it's in reference to us. Do you remember what is said in the book of Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27? In Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, when God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, you know what he said? What else he said? Let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. You see, God has given man a responsibility over his creation. The Bible teaches us very clearly in Psalm 24, verse 1, the earth is the Lord's. Everything belongs to Him, the fullness thereof. The earth belongs to the Lord. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, at verse number 26. And yet, God entrusted the rest of His creation... Everything that He created into the hands of man. It's been created, man has been created in such a way that He can have dominion over the animals and the plants and everything that God has made. And He's been given a responsibility to have and exercise that dominion. Now, that could lead us on a, on a separate study this morning and, and we could talk about, you know, is it okay, is it right to eat meat and all those kinds of things that so many in our world have gotten so confused about in some way or another. And the answer to that very shortly is yes. wish we had time to deal with it in more detail. But man's been given the responsibility over, dominion over all of these things. And so that's one of the things, one of the gifts that God has given man. And man is the only one, the only one of God's creations that has been given that. The only one. Add to that this fact, man is the only one of his creations, aside perhaps from the angels, that have been created in such a way and given such abilities and capabilities that he is capable of companionship with his Creator. And that's because of all of these gifts that we briefly mentioned this morning. Man is, is the only one. And so when you ask, what is man? What is man that you're mindful of him? What is man that you care for him? You have to take into consideration all of these things. You know, in spite of the fact that man has been created and given all of these things, man himself has created a chasm between himself and his Creator. He separated himself from himself and his Creator. Man corrupted himself and Satan gained control over mankind, changed him into his own evil image. You know, at least when we're tempted to sin and we fall for that temptation. That's what happens to us. The book of Genesis chapter 6 at verse number 5, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. 
from, from Adam who was created perfectly. In a perfect state. From, from that time and from the time that Adam and Eve just simply ate of that fruit that God told them not to eat of. Until the point of Noah and his time, not many years, man digressed. Man sinned to the point that the only thing that he had in his mind was sin. It's all he thought about doing. In the book of Ecclesiastes 7 at verse 29, the Bible says, See, this alone I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. God created man upright. God makes babies upright. And yet, when we grow, we, we tend to turn away from God, opening up that chasm. And so that's, that, that sin that we have, it created that chasm. It, it separated us from God, Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2. But I want you to think again about Job 7, verse 17. What is man, even, even in the suffering that he was going through, Job said it this way, What is man that you make so much of him? And that you set your heart on him? That's a good question, isn't it? What is man that you set your heart on him? In answering that question about what is man, we need to remember that man sinned, but God still loved him. Thus man is the object of God's love. Man sinned, but God still loved him. We know Romans 5, verse 8, God shows His love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How wonderful is that love of God for His special creation, mankind. Add to that this. Man, was, man has been given God's Son as a sacrifice for our sins. To pay the price. To redeem us. To use some biblical words. We know John 3.16 so very well. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. How wonderful is that gift of God for His creation. We were reminded of Christ just a few minutes ago when we partook of the Lord's Supper. We do that every first day of the week in the sacrifice that He's made for us. It's brought to the forefront of our mind. We need to be thankful and focus on that every first day of the week. But, but here's one more thing. Man was given the Gospel a long time ago. Man was given the gospel a long time ago. Paul would say it this way, Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God to salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now watch this. With our intellect, that we mentioned just a few minutes ago, we understand and believe 
that gospel. With our emotions, we love and we trust that God who has given us this gospel. With our will, we determine to obey this gospel. With our conscience, we live by this gospel. We are the only creature that God has created to whom the gospel has been given. And the reason for that is we are the only ones who have been created by God in such a way that we can use it. Because of our intellect and our will and our emotions and all of those things. Good friends, we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to live by it. That's what man is. As we begin to wrap this lesson up, many of you who are especially a little older may remember a man by the name of Peter Sellers, best known for playing the part of Inspector Clouseau in the Pink Panther movies. There was an occasion back in the 70s when he was being interviewed by Kermit the Frog. Most people remember old Kermit the Frog. He was on the Muppet Show and he was being interviewed by Kermit. And so Kermit was carrying on his little skit with him and he told uh, Mr. Sellers, he said, now just relax and be yourself. To which Mr. Sellers replied, well, I can't be myself. I don't know who I am. The real me doesn't exist. Now, Peter Sellers was called, has been called, the, uh, the greatest comedian of all time. I don't know about that, but that's what he's been called. And, and I know when he made that statement, he's trying to be funny. I, he said, I don't know who I am. The real me doesn't exist. And yet his words are somewhat scary and sad. A little bit later, one of his friends, in referring to that interview and what he said there on the Muppet Show, said, poor Peter said the real Peter disappeared long ago. What he is now is simply an amalgamation of all the stage and screen characters he has ever played, and now he is frantically trying to unsnarl that mess and find out who he really is. He was troubled behind the scenes. I don't know if he ever figured out who he was or not, because only just a few months later, Mr. Sellers died of a heart attack at the age of 54. I don't know if he ever figured that out. This morning, though, the question is, do you know who you are? Do you know who you are? And as you contemplate that, I want you to think about this. When the question, what is man or what is woman, is asked, that question is really about you. It's really about you. It's about me. It's about you. What is man? What is woman? That question is about each one of us this morning. Let me tell you what you are. You are a being created in the image of the eternal God. You are a being made by God so that you can have companionship with Him. That's what you are. You are a being with which God entrusted the rest of His creation. That's what you are. 
You are a being who is imperfect and who needs redemption. You are a being that God loved enough to redeem. What is man that you're mindful of him? What is man that you set your mind on him, that you care for him? That's what you are. And add to that this morning, God cared enough about you to make it possible for you to be a Christian. Follower of Christ who will lead you into eternity to a home prepared just for you in God's house. You see, if you're created with the capability of being a companion of God, would you not want to be with Him for eternity? The real nitty-gritty of it this morning, though, is this. Do you care enough about yourself and your God to be obedient to His Word and become a Christian and live as a Christian. What is man? If you've never obeyed the Gospel this morning, you're not a Christian. you've never been baptized for the remission of your sins, you're not a Christian. God died so that you can die with, your, with His Son in baptism, be raised to walk in the newness of life. Romans chapter number 6. Do you need to do that today? Become a Christian? Because when you answer the question, what is man, if that's not a part of what you are, you're you're not whole. And you need to be. Maybe you're here and in the past you've become a Christian, but you haven't been living like one. And you need to come back home. If that's your case this morning, we can assist you by praying with you and for you. Why don't you come right now as we stand and sing?